0: Nearly 1 million people a year die in the United States from heart attack. That's one out of three deaths are due to heart disease. Wouldn't you like to know what you could be doing to reduce your risk so it won't happen to you? Hey, everybody. Aaron Wenzel. Welcome to the Concierge Medicine Show. I'm your host. This is episode nine. And in today's show, we're going to be talking all about the number one killer in the world, which is heart disease. You know, it may not be a surprise to you at all, given the fact that heart disease has been the number one killer on the planet for a long time, but heart disease numbers are on a rise. Despite lower uh, fat consumption and cholesterol consumption uh, in documented human history, rates of heart disease are continuing to skyrocket. And frankly, it's going to be that way until some massively radical shifts have taken place in our culture. In today's show, I'm going to be giving you the seven most important things that you need to be doing and not doing in order to minimize your risk for heart disease and the conversations that you need to be having with your doctor to make sure you're at lowest risk possible so first of all what is heart disease you know we throw that term around very loosely and 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 although heart attacks are part of this number heart disease is actually an umbrella term that encompasses heart attack yes but also stroke and hypertension or high blood pressure in today's show. We're going to really just be focusing on heart disease as it pertains to heart attack. Stroke is, is a conversation that we're going to be having in a future episode. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's the next episode that we'll be talking about stroke. Um, but it is coming, but today is all about heart disease as it pertains to heart attack. Um, what what is a heart attack? I mean, I I uh, in my practice I get a lot of interesting answers or thoughts or beliefs around what a heart attack is. I certainly see that in the emergency department. Um, I've been a full time emergency physician for uh, almost ten years now, and uh, this is one of the the most painful things that I have to deal with. Almost on a shift, every shift basis is is this idea of a heart attack and really explaining not only to patients, but patients' families, what exactly a heart attack is. And I I think that it bears, um, this is an important enough question that we need to start this conversation framing it with what exactly is a heart attack. Uh, So I like to start with normal. In a normal situation, You have a blood vessel that is feeding your heart that is pristine and beautiful and no, it's just a slick uh, vessel. But something happens to the lining of that vessel that is traumatic. And in the environment of trauma, that lining gets interrupted. In other words, there's an opening or a weak spot in that lining. And when you have this opening or this weak spot, it's now vulnerable for things that are normally in the blood to then deposit in the wall of the blood vessel. And the culprit for what causes heart attacks begins with cholesterol entering these deficits in the wall of the blood vessel. But notice, I didn't say cholesterol causes the heart attack because cholesterol is only involved in this uh, story because there was an injury to the blood vessel to begin with. If there's no injury to the blood vessel, you can never start the cascade of having a heart attack. Step number one is there's an injury to the lining of the blood vessel. Step number two is because it now has a vulnerability of the injury, Cholesterol then is free to migrate into the wall of the blood vessel and begin to collect. As this collection begins to grow, you start to form what's commonly known as a plaque. A plaque, it becomes hard, the cholesterol hardens, it becomes large, and as a large, hard thing inside the blood vessel begins to grow, it becomes unstable. When it becomes so unstable that a fragment of this plaque breaks off, this fragment of cholesterol breaks off, shoots downstream until it ends up in a blood vessel. As it gets smaller and smaller, it gets wedged and it goes till it can't go anymore and it gets stuck. It's this process of a plaque breaking off or rupturing, we call it a ruptured plaque and shooting downstream and getting lodged in a smaller blood vessel It blocks all blood flow downstream from that plaque. Arteries or blood vessels supply blood flow to tissue to keep it alive. If there is no blood flow, that tissue dies. And so in a heart attack, when that plaque breaks off and gets ruptured, breaks off, goes downstream, gets wedged, stops blood flow to everything downstream, all of that heart tissue dies. When heart tissue dies, that's a heart attack. And you might say, well, what's the pain? The pain in a heart attack, this, oh my gosh, my heart, that comes from the moment that plaque breaks off. That's not painful. It's when it gets wedged into the small blood vessel and restricts blood flow. That heart tissue then says, I need blood. I need blood. I'm under serious duress. Pay attention. This is life-threatening. All of our attention goes to our chest because our heart cells are being deprived of its lifeblood, oxygen. And if that blockage stays there long enough, you then begin to get death to your heart cells. And something very interesting about your brain cells and your heart cells, they do not regenerate. Once they're dead, they're gone. And so this is why it's very critical for heart disease, because... uh, These heart attacks, if they happen and they're big enough and enough heart tissue dies, you can run into major problems, even death, sudden death. If enough heart tissue dies to where you can't contract, you die. And so that at its most basic level, that's what a heart attack is, is that you have an injured vessel, cholesterol from the bloodstream, which is where it's supposed to be, goes where it's not supposed to be, forms a plaque, the plaque gets big. It gets unstable, it ruptures, goes downstream, blocks a smaller vessel, everything downstream doesn't get blood flow or oxygen, that tissue dies. That's a heart attack. The more tissue that dies, the bigger the heart attack. And that's that's the, the most simple explanation I can give you. I hope that helps us frame out the beginning of this discussion. So now that we've framed out what a heart attack is, I don't think we need to belabor any more teaching. I mean, that is essentially all that you need to know about a heart attack. Um... It's part of heart disease as a, on a global macro level, but on a micro level, it is the process of a plaque breaking off, rupturing, clogging downstream blood flow so that heart disease dies. We need to move quickly into what, what are the most important things that you can be doing right now to be reducing your risk of having a heart attack. Number one, um... Again, a lot of this is going to sound like, oh, I've heard that before. But again, that's the whole nature of this show. Uh, probably most of what I'm saying is not the first time you've heard the topic. This isn't about, I need more information. All this information is available to you. But what we're all lacking in this world, this day and age of information is wisdom. What do I do with all this information? Great, Doc. That's a heart attack. What do I do today to reduce my risk? Number one, I would say we need to increase our overall activity level um as humans you know we're all busy but we're not active and i would encourage you to find areas of your life where you can be less busy and more active uh, activity human beings are meant and designed to be in motion pushing and pulling against things meeting resistance pushing through being active and engaging in our environment that's the way we're designed and when we don't engage in our in our environment in an active fashion Uh, there are a long sequence of negative consequences. So increasing activity is step number one. Number two is to reduce excess body fat. Again, this body that is designed to be in motion is not designed to be 300 pounds. It puts excess wear and tear on our joints. It causes metabolic consequences like insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome. Both of these concepts we've talked about in other episodes and if you hang out with me for any period of time, you'll hear me rant about insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome pretty frequently because I actually believe it's the whole game. I think that 80 plus percent of what we deal with um, health-wise in our current lives are all directly linked to this phenomenon of ignoring insulin And this concept of a metabolic syndrome. So reducing total body fat really is at the foundation of health. We're not meant to be heavy. Uh, and if we're saying that we need to be active and for anybody who struggles with weight, you know, it's hard to be active when you weigh 279 pounds. It's much easier to drop off a 50-pound backpack and be 220 pounds and be active. For those of us that don't struggle with weight and have never been in this space, it's hard for us to kind of wrap our head around, we'll just go be more active. It hurts. It's hard. If you don't think so, get yourself an industrial or military-grade backpack, put 30 pounds of sand in it, and go walk around the block. It's hard. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, you know, that's your excuse for not being active. It's just, it just is. Nonetheless, you've got to find a way to reduce your weight. And if you know what I'm about to say, because you've been hanging out with us for a little bit, you know, this is all diet. This is all based on things that raise your blood sugar because excess blood sugar is converted to fat. The holy grail of weight loss is insulin. I'm sorry. The holy grail of weight loss is stabilization of your blood sugar so that you don't have any excess insulin around, so that you don't make fat, you can burn fat. That's that's the whole thing. The third thing that you need to do is you really need to improve your overall cholesterol numbers. I'm not going to dive into all the details of this. We've done a episode on cholesterol where we go um, pretty deep on what specific targets you need to be looking at. But when it pertains to the cholesterol involved in the heart attack, and plaque formation. The only thing that you really need to be focused on really is reducing triglycerides, raising HDL, and reducing your small, dense LDL. Again, if you hadn't heard our talk on that, go back to previous episodes on cholesterol. We talk at length about that. But that is number three. Number four, remember there's seven things. Number four is you've got to lower your blood pressure. We talked again about this in our metabolic syndrome talk. Hypertension above 130 over 85 is a risk factor for heart attack. Think about it: a big unstable plaque in your blood vessel. All it needs is a little flick. Metaphorically, the way that works in reality is: is if the blood going through it is at an increased pressure, that's the metaphorical flick. Does it make sense? It not only can facilitate the injury in the first place, having high blood pressure pushing against these blood vessels causing injury, making it vulnerable for cholesterol, but that high blood pressure can be the thing that ruptures that plaque. You've got to get control of your blood pressure. Again, uh, the number one culprit in hypertension for most people is the insulin resistance at the root of their metabolic syndrome. So, Number five, improve your diet. not going to beat that up. Any diet that if you have a current eating habit that does not take captive every carbohydrate you put in your mouth, you're going to have a hard time winning at this. If it's not a fat or a protein and you're putting it in your mouth and you're struggling with these predisposing risk factors for heart disease, you're going to have a hard time to win. You've got to eat things that control your blood sugar have high fat, moderate protein. That is the ideal diet. Number six is an absolute no-brainer, but I have to spend a little bit of time on this. You got to quit smoking. Look, I I don't want you to get lung cancer. Lung cancer is horrible. And anybody who knows somebody who's had lung cancer, it is a horrible disease and it's a horrible way to die. But the truth is, I don't want you to quit smoking because I don't want you to get lung cancer. 90% of people who smoke never get lung cancer. What I'm concerned about is the fact that 100% of people that smoke end up with heart attack or stroke. No exception. Your granny who still smokes two packs a day and has never got lung cancer, which is why you justify not quitting smoking... I promise she's had a heart attack or stroke because it's basic biochemistry. It's basic laws of physics. That injury, the number one culprit, uh, I should say the number one preventable culprit is smoking. That, that smoking gets into your bloodstream, the toxins, and it irritates the lining of your vessel, which causes the vulnerability in the first place. This is why smoking is a big deal in heart attack. It's what's causing the injury. Remember, if the injury never takes place, you can't get a heart attack because you got to have a plaque. And the only way the plaque forms is from cholesterol that got into a place it shouldn't have been in. And the only reason it got in there was because there was an injury. And smoking is the number one preventable cause of not only heart disease, a plethora. That'll be another recurring theme. You've got to quit. And if you don't smoke, it's the best thing you can never start. Please. You've got to put some serious attention and effort towards quitting smoking. I know it's hard, but it has to be a must. And the last thing, which I believe is the number one issue and the most important thing that you can do, it's normalize your blood sugar. Because although smoking is the number one preventable cause of trauma to the lining of your blood vessel, the number one culprit to 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 the injury is the the. Um, devastating effects that high levels of blood sugar have on the lining of a blood vessel. It eats it apart. You know, when I was in the weight loss space, I had um, a client who had been a cath lab nurse. This is the nurse who is in the part of the hospital where when you have the heart attack, they, they shoot dye in your vein and they find the blockage and they put a stent and they open it up. She was... There with the cardiologist, this was her career for 20 years. And when we were talking about the damage that high levels of sugar and high levels of insulin, the inflammatory changes to blood vessels, you could see her face just change as we were talking. She was like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. You know, for 20 years, when we shoot dye into somebody and I look at the way their blood vessels look like on, on the camera screen she said, I knew they were diabetic. And I, matter of fact, I, only, I not only knew that they were diabetic, I could tell how bad of a diabetic they were because of the way their blood vessels looked. I was like, wow. You got you to understand. If the environment within the vessel is toxic and inflammatory, you're going to injure the lining. And once you've injured that lining, you are on the path to heart attack. And nothing has been more devastating to our society, as it pertains to health, than diabetes. No disease will outpace diabetes worldwide. It is the number one health concern. It has the power to completely cripple us as a society. And numbers are rising at skyrocketing rates. And the reason diabetes matters, when we're having a heart disease talk is that the American College of Cardiology states that having diabetes and having heart disease are the same. In other words, it's a risk equivalent. You have just as much risk if you have known heart disease of having another heart attack as you do if you don't have heart disease but just have diabetes. You have the same risk to having a heart attack. This is huge. This is why all diabetics end up with heart disease, all of them. And if you're a diabetic who smokes, you're at greater risk. And if you're a diabetic who smokes, who has high blood pressure, you're at even more risk. And if you're a diabetic who smokes and has high blood pressure and bad cholesterol numbers and you're not active, this is just tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. You can do this. These are enemies that are beatable, but you got to know what you're fighting and how to fight them. So, how you fight them, you're gonna take what we've learned today, what we've talked about today, and you're gonna take the conversations that we're about to go over, and you're gonna sit down with your doc and you're gonna get real deep. And again, I know some of you don't have the luxury of, of seeing your doc. You know, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks to get in, and you only get a few minutes, but the, the reason this show exists is to either A, encourage you to get a new doctor, somebody who has the time to chat with you about these things, or If you like them, but they don't have the time because they have other demands, you've got to go in there with a checklist, uh, like a grocery list. Otherwise, you'll spend all day and you'll get nothing done. Here are the things I'm most concerned about. Here are the conversations that you need to have about heart disease. Number one, the most important conversation to have is how do I control my blood sugar? More specifically, how do I normalize my blood sugar and am I at any risk of becoming diabetic. If I am diabetic, how do I reverse my diabetes? In other words, it doesn't matter if you're diabetic, pre-diabetic, or just don't want to get diabetes. Focusing on a normalized blood sugar is the primary objective to risk reduce for heart attack. It's got to be number one on your list. Everything else honestly is a distant second, uh, in my opinion. Um, You know, we've talked about glucose control, sugar control, stabilizing blood sugar a lot on the show. And I'm going to continue to, uh, because it's that big of a deal. Um, again, I, I, it's the game, it's everything. Um, and the way that you normalize your blood sugar is you put your energy and effort around discipline with what you put in your mouth and the things that if you're putting things in your mouth that raise your blood sugar, You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position because if you're not insulin-resistant or diabetic, overeating things that raise your blood sugar puts you on the path to those diseases. If you're already insulin-resistant or pre-diabetes or borderline or diabetic and you're eating things that raise your blood sugar, you are absolutely exposing yourself to huge vulnerability because your body's going to ignore its insulin. Because of that blood sugar. The insulin being high and the sugars being high are going to provide trauma and injury to the lining of your blood vessels. And over time, you will form a plaque. And over time, that plaque will rupture. And it will cause a heart attack. We know that to be true. So, you've got to fix your diet. Uh, and I universally recommend a carb control diet that has high fat for satiety And moderate protein. That is the blanket universal statement for Dr. Runs, what's the best diet? The details of that really depend on you and your goals and what your preferences are. Do you have any other things going on? We talk a lot about diet in uh, our nutrition uh, episode. I won't get too much into that. But the general blanket belief around diet that's optimal for health, in my opinion... Is something that is very, 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 very limited carbohydrate, uh, limited so strict that it's just vegetables, and high fat foods like fish, nuts, oils, uh, things like this that are very filling and very satisfying, and then moderate protein that, that come from good protein sources. Um, this is the ideal diet. It helps to reduce or eliminate metabolic syndrome. Because you're addressing the root, which is the insulin resistance, because you're not eating anything that raises your blood sugar that you would need insulin for. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, It helps with weight loss. It helps you improve your cholesterol numbers. It helps um, with weight. Not sure if I already said that. But if you remember these risk factors, I mean, that's like four or five of the seven things that you need to be doing can all be fixed with just what you put in your mouth. If you do all that and you still cannot normalize your blood sugar, I am a huge advocate of talking about adding metformin or increasing the dose to the max dose, which is 2,500 milligrams a day. Metformin is a medication. Been around a long, 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 long time. Very well understood. Very safe profile as a me- as medicine go, um, as medicines go. And... It works, the pharmacology of it is that it works directly to reverse insulin resistance, which is the opposite of the whole problem, which is why I'm a huge fan of it. Very few low blood sugar episodes. Uh, It's very good, can help promote weight loss, sugar stabilization, etc. So have a conversation with your doc about normalizing your blood sugar, all the things that you can be doing, diets, and potentially adding metformin or increasing metformin doses. Those would be my recommendations for a very quality conversation. The second thing you can do, and this is the only other conversation I want you to have, if you're not a smoker, then you've only got one thing to do. That's conversation number one. If you are a smoker, you have got to quit. I know you've been told that a long time, but my job is to continue to encourage you to try. It's also my experience that the trouble with smoking is that people who smoke like smoking, so by me telling you to quit smoking it's like telling a golfer to quit golfing it's like telling a baker to quit baking it just you just don't hate it and it's very hard to walk away from something that you like. There are medications that can help you with the craving of nicotine but medications like chantix not only have risk profiles to them uh, increase suicidal uh risk, uh, things like that. But aside from that, it it works well with reducing craving. But anybody who's ever taken it will tell you, it doesn't take away my want, my like. See, I still like it. And so you've got to get to a place where it, it is an absolute must to quit smoking. You've actually got to learn to hate it and if you talk to anybody who's ever quit smoking they'll say oh my gosh it's amazing once i quit i can't even stand the sight or smell or taste i can it's it's repulsive that's a shift that takes place in their psychology so listen there are ways to get involved in a community that can support you some of you that might mean new hobbies triggers most people who smoke have a set of patterns that trigger whether it's playing cards or watching movie or drinking beer or hanging out with certain people. It triggers a, a subconscious unaware craving for a pattern of smoking. And so you might need to get new hobbies, might need to get new friends, might, but you've got to eliminate triggers. That seems to be a universal, um, trait in people who are able to just quit Um, And so I just encourage you to to never, ever, ever, ever give up if you're still on this planet and you're still alive and you owe it to yourself to never give up. You've got to try to quit. It is the greatest thing that you could ever quit is smoking. Um, So here are the big take home points of today's show. If you have diabetes or if you smoke, you will get heart disease. It's just a matter of time. And if you have both, it's even a scarier proposition. We've got to get control of those blood sugars and you have to quit smoking if you smoke. You've got to normalize blood sugar. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, whether pre-diabetes or horrible diabetes. You've got to make normalizing that blood sugar your number one priority. It is the most important thing that you can do. And lastly, for all those non-smokers out there, the big take-home point is don't ever start. Don't ever start. And that will be half of the battle for heart disease is really um, never even in the equation for you. But you're not off the hook with the sugar issue. That is the deal. So listen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Like the video. Like the uh, the show. I would mean the world to me if you uh, subscribed. Uh, leave your comments and your feedback. I love the engagement. Um, Tell us what you like, what you don't like, uh, and maybe some topics that you'd like to hear some more discussion around. I hope this was valuable to you. Please feel free to share it with anybody who you think would find it valuable. It's been an honor to have your attention, and I hope that, you know, in some way I can help move you to make some powerful decisions, uh, you know, to make yourself that better, healthier, more vibrant version of yourself that is in you. So go get them this week. And we will talk again real soon. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for watching the show. I'm sure it goes without saying, but I feel compelled to share with you. Obviously, I want to help uh, as many people as possible. Um, But before you make any medical changes, please please consult with your physician. Don't do any of this on your own. Um, You don't want to put yourself in any harm's way. And um, again, thanks a bunch for watching the show. If you have any questions or comments, again, please leave them and we'll get back to you. Take care.